what's your productivity system? Are you a GTD guy? Or are you? I'm a G-O-M-E-R guy. Mm. Yeah. So what I do is I get really, really anxious about stupid stuff. And then I postpone responding to that stuff because I'm already late in responding to it and I feel stupid. Therefore, my anxiety builds up even more. And then I pretend like that stuff that I'm procrastinating on doesn't exist until it blows up in my face. Then I make up a bunch of excuses as to why I did that in the first place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 16 of Catching Foxes, a podcast brought to you by layevangelist.com. I'm Gomer. Oh, I'm Luke. Sorry, I was I, I was getting ready for this. No, no, no. I know. I know. I just sprung it on you. Uh, like many things, I'm going to spring on you. Um, I'm Gomer. That's Luke. And what we are going to do today is a return of the 10-minute topic. Okay? We are going to dive into listener mail. We have Thank had, you, all three of you. Absolutely. We have had many people send us. By many people, we mean one guy many times. But we, I'm just kidding. We've had, uh, <laughs> on top of that one guy many times, we've had like four other people. And they've all suggested really good topics. Some of them we've kind of incorporated into different things. Like one person suggested, how do you build community as adults? And we kind of talked about that in the uh, mystical land of the Marriott Hotel. Um we have a handful of topics. Luke is going to be the arbiter, the dungeon master, if you will, of this excursion. Uh, yes. I am going to be the timekeeper. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to both talk. Uh, Luke's going to come up with a question, and then we're just going to banter back and forth. The maximum limit is 10 minutes. Okay? So we can go through these if we go fast. That's great. Right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think we're going okay. for an hour, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because people will die if we go for more than an hour with this stuff. Seriously. You people just bitch and bitch and bitch. I can't listen to a podcast that's an hour and a half uh, half long. Grow the f*** up, Steve Blackston. <laughs> My name is Duncan. I hate it when Gomer talks for more than an hour. Well, Duncan, it's happening. I'm in your face. I know you listen, and it's in your face. You're a beautiful man and an excellent babysitter. Why do I have a man babysitting my kids? It's That's how good you are, okay? You're pro-life, and I love you, but you complain too much about the podcast. I'm going to have to break your hip. Okay, Luke, first question. Uh, wait, really quick. Yeah. Other Catholic podcasts, actually, I, I hate that term. Other podcasts, like, thank other listeners and give shout-outs. We go, fuck you. <laughs> Correction, you said, fuck you. I'm just yelling at a guy. Okay, so, okay. Long press We're, to start. Starting. Ready? Matt Walsh, asshole or friend? <laughs> friendly asshole <laughs> well like an asshole he stinks but he's a part of you <laughs> i don't know do you read a lot of the matt walsh what is his blog called the matt walsh blog i, I don't know matt, i mean okay matt. okay so yeah so that's probably good dis a good disclaimer here i only read when people post about it on uh, facebook yeah, i've he never has, gone to his website he has things that i've liked and then he wrote a thing on Robin Williams that made me furious. You know, and it's I, so funny. I'm the, ex- yeah, I'm the exact same way. I loved his Robin Williams piece for like the first 30 words. Like where he's saying, don't say Robin Williams is free. He committed suicide. That's terrible. But then it's like, just it just went to just so bad. Oh, it was so disgusting. Mean. Disgusting. Yeah. Like you, there is no... My issue with him 
is there's no room for grace. It would seem that way, yeah. Like there's no room. Yeah, I mean, and I, he's a I, Catholic. That's the whole deal. Is he's a Catholic. Um, he doesn't really blog as a Catholic. Like he's not like, hey, I'm a Catholic blogger. But he yeah. is very open and upfront about his Catholic faith and his beliefs and his Christianity in general and, and moral views and all that stuff. And I get it that it's hip to go against guys like him and George Weigel right now and blah, 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 and be like, I don't have to agree with everything that you say and to call them out on their crap. And I think there's some there is some weight to that. But I I feel like sometimes the whole anti Matt Walsh stuff is just should be anti Matt Walsh just to show all of our friends who don't agree with us. Oh, I'm not like him. Oh, yeah. like, look, we have a lot more in common with Matt Wallace than we probably want to admit. For all the things he says that makes me mad, 90% of the things in life we probably agree on. Oh, that's a good point. I may not like his approach, but, like, stop acting like he's not on your team. Like, he is. <laughs> you just don't like him. That's and, and that's fine. That's totally fine. But I just think there's, you know, like, we all, we all, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote the good old propaganda again. How about we all just show each other a little bit of grace? Mm. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to say. I, uh, he is a, the, I mean, the whole point of his thing is he's engaging in politics and he is engaging at the level of vitriol that is being dished out to Christians, to conservatives, whatever. I constantly have a problem when people wear their Christianity on their sleeve. And this is basically agreeing with everything you just said about the, with the propaganda quote that you know, we need to show each other a little grace. Meaning, I feel like if you're going to come at it as a a openly Christian commentator, right, a pundit, if you will, I hate that expression, but you're going to come at it as a pundit who's very open about his Christianity. You can't just talk like the other pundits. You can't go down to that level, even though they are down there and they're dragging you down there. You're not allowed to go down there. Oh, that, that sounded really inappropriate. You're not allowed. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I didn't. You're not allowed to be covered in filth. Wait, no, it's still there. Uh, you talking nicey, okay? No, I mean, <laughs> we have we have to show grace in what we say. I feel like his blogs go for the jugular. jugular, jugular. Um, they go for the jiggler, uh, <laughs> and they don't stop. Like, that's, that's the whole nature of, I mean, of, of someone who has not encountered the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in his own life. And Jesus is very clear, freely you've been given, so freely you are to give, right? So I don't think that we, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I would probably sympathize with most of the stuff that he says, high-five him for a chunk of what he says, but I feel like almost it's like the attitude around which he says it, no bueno. Mm -hmm. And I think if you want to see a good example of what it means to talk about a real serious issue with a lot of grace is to read J.D. Flynn's open letter to Richard Dawkins. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's inc- it's almost, I mean, it's actually friendly in its own way. Yeah. Oh, it's, right, yeah, I mean, he invited him over for dinner, but like not a on Wednesday. Invitation. Yeah. Like it was just, I don't know. So, I mean, if people want to read them that, is great. Don't get your talking points from him. Like think for yourself, talk to other people about it. Like if you don't have a friend who like have friends that don't agree with you, you know, put a name on to put a face onto those ideas. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Hey, are we done uh, with that? Yeah. We got four minutes left. Uh, Look at us. We did it. We are, we are good. Um, all right. You ready? I was born ready. 
the world. What the hell do we mean by when we say the world? Ooh, that's a good one. Is that by the same guy? No, that that was uh, that was me. Well, that was you. It, it was a thought I had uh, coming out of a bar, a bar that I really like. And if my buddy Johnny is listening, dude, you're the best bartender in the world. Thank you. If Go your buddy on. Johnny, the bartender, is listening, <laughs> my question is: How did you discover this podcast? Why are you still listening? Um, okay, so what 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 brought this question up? So when I left the bar, and, and now this was part of though this is. Uh, I'm not in, at the stage of life anymore where I go out to bars at night during the week. You know, I I am married now. I come home to my wife. We eat. We talk. She does schoolwork. I read a book or I watch Once Upon a Time. Um, you know, I'm I I am fully engaged in the a domestic life. But I had a, like a she had she had to do some some school stuff right right after work. I had a, like a free hour or or two. I thought I'm going to go to Johnny's bar down in over the Rhine, have a, and have a drink. It'll be great. So I do. And as I, as I, as I left the bar, it was the exact same time that I would usually always go out to bars during the week when I wasn't married. And I saw all of these people and I had a tinge of jealousy. And I thought, is this the world? Like, is this what I should be hating? Or is it just me being like, Oh, I'm like my bastardhood has, you know, like ended and yada, yada, yada. And then I just thought we talk about the world a lot. Don't be of the world. What do we even mean by that? Like, like, what is it? Like, what does it actually mean? Practically when we say, don't be, of, don't be of, of the world. Well, what does that mean? Or don't be worldly. Or yeah, its yeah. worst version, don't be secular. <laughs> exactly. That was a very long explanation for what just could have been. At the bar, I thought, what does the world actually mean when we say that? Go on. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Um, okay, so I'm just going to throw this out there. This is me. I'm trying. I, you need to interrupt me because I'm about to go full instruction-y, and this instruction is underneath discussion. Right, mm-hmm. so you need to turn this into mm-hmm. a discussion, or I'm going to go full Aquinas on you. Right, discussion's always on top. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, okay. So, in scripture, in scripture, the world has three meanings. Okay, and let me just narrow this down. Saint Thomas Aquinas talking about this. the The world always has three meanings. Number one is the evil world, like, or I guess that's really number three, but the evil world, the world that's bad, the world that's broken, the world that's fallen, the world that is a source of temptation, right? So in traditional Catholic spirituality, we say there are three sources of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And what do we mean by the world is the perversity that the world has descended into, right? So that's why we say things like um, uh, the friendship of this world is the enemy of God, as James says in chapter 4 or something like that, or the devil is the prince of this world, that is what we mean. You know, to be worldly means to be of the world system. Archbishop Fulton Sheen says that is a system governed by mediocrity where all those who are too good or too evil are both destroyed by the world, right? And yet this mediocrity always has a downward slant towards more evil, right? So um, that's, the, that's the kind of the negative way that you were talking about. Like when I'm supposed to be world, if the, the worldly part that I avoid is the evil part. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. So Christ comes in opposition to the that world system, and you can define that world system in kind of two ways, right? Like structural injustice or social sin, if you want to call it that, and personal injustice and personal sin. 
So the world is filled with both of those things. So like when we talked about in the last top 10 or 10 minute episode, we talked about institutional racism and institutional sexism. That would be a world system where certain genders or certain um, races are Mm -hmm. singled out for violence or singled out for exaltation, right? Okay, really quickly then. The other two meanings of the world are really simple. Number one, the world means creation. That's awesome. Bucket of awesome. That's a good meaning. That's the meaning that when oftentimes we think like God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's what God said. God loved the world. When we say the earth, we mean like nature without man. When we say the world, we mean, oh, yeah, man too as a part of the whole thing. Um, so the world, yeah, so through him, the world, through the word, the world was made in, in John chapter 1. And then the other meaning is like the world that Christ is reconciling to himself. Right. So you have the city of God, and then you also have the city of man. Those are at odds. Yeah. So it's like, well, you, you got you got nature as it is, right? You got mm-hmm. God, the city of God, and then the city of city of man, city of city. Okay. Fair. Yeah. So you got the three. Um, and so what we're called, right? The world spirit, right, is meaning <clears throat> means the system that is created as something that's like a counterpart to the church. You could almost think. So like the secular worldview doesn't just mean a worldview that doesn't have religion informing it, it is fundamentally an anti-God system. Because if God exists and he's real and he really does intervene in human society, then we as human beings need to allow society to be informed by that revelation. So a secular system isn't just, oh, I'm not taking part in religion, you know, keep religion privatized. It always has to be a hostile system to religion, especially to revealed religion and in Christ Jesus. It has to be because Christ is saying, hey, this is the true way. And we're like, yeah, that's cute. We're going to come up with our own stuff. Right. So that's why we will often kind of default to the whole notion of like the world is evil. But then you encounter things like, but Jesus died for the world and, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because when I looked at all of those people who were going out to a bar, I do think I had like a little bit of um, a tinge of that life is over with now. And then I, you know, but I'm, I'm also able uh, uh, to see those actions through a lens that I haven't been before, that I that I that I have not been able to before, which is one of distance. Yeah. And I was able to see, you know, the act of going out on a weekend night, on a, on a weeknight with all your friends to a, to a, a bar. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. But to go out with the intent to like go and get laid or whatever and like hook up with as many girls as you can and just to like use and abuse people so you feel better about yourself and life. That's that's the world that's wrong. That's the world that we're talking about. Like like that is that is a distortion of what is good and holy. Yeah, it's you could say it's like where where does your love lie? Right. So if you love God, you can be in the world, but not of the world. And that means the system that is set up against God. Right. Or making this world the ultimate thing rather than God, the ultimate thing. And so by being, you know, by saying we are in the world, but not of the world, that doesn't mean that we hate creation. That doesn't mean we hate our bodies. That doesn't mean that we hate the mission of Christ to reconcile the world to himself. What it means is we refuse to cooperate with this, you know, uh, demonic counterfeit, right? That's the that's the whole point of it. And just a little side note from my Thomist homies. 
St. Thomas Aquinas was an Aristotelian, not a Platonist like like Augustine. He followed Aristotle, which means like Plato believed like the real world was this world of ideals or the forms that were kind of in the mind of God. And then he stamped it into creation. So there's this thing called treeness, and then there's all these like individual material examples of trees. Whereas Aristotle said, no, those, those forms exist in the real things, in the things that we encounter. It's not just an idea. Now, the reason why I got all philosophical is because when Thomas Aquinas arrived on the scene in the 1200s, um, there was a movement being spread that was trying to shed this kind of anti-nature, anti-goodness of create. Like creation was good, but only if it connected us to God. Like fire, uh, fire reveals to us symbolically the Holy Spirit. That's why fire is good. And it's like, well, I mean, but fire is good because it's fire. It's just in and of itself, it's a good thing. Aquinas yeah. helped to take that spirit of what was okay. I'm totally nerding out here, but the Hohenstaufen spirit, which just, is like just uh, just go, man. Yeah, I got 27 seconds to just go. The Hohenstaufen spirit was like this. It was the, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. It was this like return to the goodness of nature. And actually, Thomas Aquinas, who was a cousin of them, uh, he helped kind of ground it philosophically and theologically by drawing on Aristotle and other things. So, to love the world is to have the heart of Christ. To be worldly is to have the heart of the devil. The more you know. Ba-na-na-na. Zero seconds left. Next time. Good work, please. my friend. All right. Do um, you have anything that you want to do, or do you want me to just keep on going? Oh, no, you are. You are the, you're the dungeon master. Well, that's right. Yeah. I don't know what that means. That was cool. Um, all right. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that I want to uh, say for a later episode. Just for the record, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But I've watched that episode multiple times on Community, and it is hysterical. You know, I never. I need to watch that show. I, every time I watched it, just first three seasons. First three seasons. Bathe in it. You know who I really like? Me, Child Gambini. Oh, so good, dude! It's great. So good, Childish Gambini. Oh, sorry, Childish Gambini. Yeah, Not he's. Me. I saw his stand up, and I thought it was all right when he opened up for Joel um, McHale. But I really like his music, dude. You should have seen when he opened up for Joel Olstein. Just kidding. <laughs> Bangarang, Rufio. Um. Uh, okay, so, so cursing. Eh, you you want to do that one? I can do that one. We can do that one quickly. Yeah. Uh, shit. Are we bad? Shit. You're bad. <laughs> High five. <laughs> Anywho, the book of CRX says abusive language is a sign of childishness. <laughs> I think me and Luke would totally agree with that statement. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Why do you think cussing is childish? Be- well, I think there's a difference between being like immature and being childish. And here's what I mean by that. When I, like, so earlier on, I dropped a lot of F-bombs. I knew it was stupid. And I would not do that in front of my mom. I wouldn't you do it would in front. do it in front of a national audience. Yeah, because th- those people, like, they know what they're entering into. I'm not going to go into school if I have to, like, as an administrator. Okay, so I'm not going to go into a parent meeting and go, your kids are a bunch of assholes. You know, I'm just not going to do that. That's not... That's not appropriate. That would be a childish thing. And it's also quite ignorant and it's not, nor is it accurate. So I think there's a time and there is a place and 
also, but to but I think where it really gets out of hand is when it's done um, where you, where it's done out where it uh, when it's not um, what's the word I'm going for there when there is no moderation. Okay. So like the joke is funny like once or it's it is funny once or twice three or four times that's a little bit much. So they get to like understand one what's like where are you to why are why are you I'm doing it and don't do it to the point where it's like that's just okay, now you're getting pretty like childish, you know. Yeah, well let me this is what I think. I think that sometimes it appears in polite society that the role of the church is to make people nice, prim and proper with our pleated pants and our perfectly parted hair. Well, that was a lot of alliteration. Nailed it. Um, that that's what people think. And the reason why they shy away from cuss words, curse words, you know, whatever, is that it, um, it's offensive and it's not nice. It's not polite. It's not prim and proper. But I, I just want to point out something that I think is funny. St. Paul says shit in the Bible. Hmm? He says yeah. shit. He doesn't say poop. He doesn't say excrement. He doesn't say dung. He doesn't say going to the potty, right? He says, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as shit so that I may gain Christ. He uses uh, skubala. The, the vulgar, crass word intentionally of, of this day. That was the dirty word. It wasn't the, the nice thing in Philippians 3.8. So that I just want to point out that there is a time and a place for cussing, like when in a previous episode we were talking about Tinder and dating, and I just said, wake the F up, right? Yeah, uh, totally. One guy wants to make that into a shirt, which totally should happen. I think that that was appropriate. There are times when cussing is it's not even funny. Cussing, if at the very least, it should be funny. My mm-hmm. wife does not think the F word is funny, so I don't say it around her sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and I think there are times when we definitely, well, we, I cross that line. So I, that's the thing that I need to be aware of. And every so often, I'll drop in a bleep when I think we're one F-bomb too far. When we have firebombed Tokyo and we need to stop, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. So that was a good talk. Uh, I can't remember who asked us that. Oh, but never, Twitter. but never take the Lord's name in vain. No, oh, I think that's worse. I say, I think yeah, that's worse ever. than the F word. I think ever. I have in ever. my life, honestly, I've taken the Lord's name in vain once. A GD dropped a GD. I heard a priest drop a GD once, and when I heard him say that, I actually felt like God was damning something. Like in reality, like he's used that phrase in the most appropriate way. I am not so holy as to think I can ever use it in any appropriate way. Yeah. And one time I said that to my brother, who uh, his t- at that time he was entering into his full like drinking stage in high school, and he looked at me and he goes, "Not even I would say that." And I was like, "Oh well." <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that I definitely struggle with a little bit. I got I got people in my life that say that all the time, and I'm like. Really? 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 You love Jesus. Why do you why do you go there? Now my mom on the my mom famously famously my mom is hysterical. I love my mommy so much. But when she gets really pissed off at me when I was a little kid, she would go, oh, "Jesus God." And I was and I remember I went to him I was like, "Mom, you can't you can't say that. You're taking God's name in vain." Twice. And she's like, "No, I'm not." She's like, "I am begging God for help not to beat you kids." And I was like, "Oh, okay. That's a <laughs> a good philadelphia impulse to have all right yeah jesus god 
Will Smith. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's not something that I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with it. Like, no, I honestly, like, I cringe when I hear that, especially in a movie or just in casual a conversation. It really bothers me. Yeah. That and there is one word that I hate that I cannot stand it. Uh, I, I, I just don't like it when it when it is spoken. It's just, oh, it's awful. Um, I'm not going to repeat it because I just freaking hate it. Is it, is yeah, it the B word? No. Mm-mm. Is it the M word? Is it the what? M word? M word, no. Do you know what the M word is? I Are you thinking of the song by Lust Control? I don't, I don't know music. Anyhow, I was just making a <laughs> thing. I was literally looking at my web browser for letters because like, I couldn't think of one on my own. End scene. End All right. scene. Um, Next one. Judging an excommunication. Excommunication. I think Nancy Pelosi should be excommunicated, but that's just me. Uh, is that is that is should I not uh, think that? Well, well, why do you think that? Because she's a politician who openly advocates for abortion rights, and she claims to be Catholic. Yeah, I have a really, I have a, I just, I honestly, I can, I have more patience for everything else, but that. That I have such a heart. I have such and 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 I know I'm turning into one of those like Matt Walshish guys when I say that, or I could be perceived as that. But I have a really really hard time with Catholic polit with Catholic politicians who advocate for abortion rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just I don't see how that's not grounds for excommunication. Now I know excommunication is a very serious thing, very very serious, and you sh- and you sh- and you should never say, you know. I probably should not have said what I said about her, so I'm sorry. But I just I ugh, I have a hard time with that. Right. So here is the deal: there are different types of excommunication. Excommunication ultimately goes back to Saint Paul. Uh, well, it goes back to Jesus saying, uh, essentially, if a brother comes to you sinning and he won't listen even to the church, you know, you go to him directly, then you take some others and then you take him to the church and if you won't listen even to the church then he is to you a sinner to be to you a sinner and a tax collector meaning yes definitely an object of our prayer it's funny that in the catholic church we teach that if someone is excommunicated they are not allowed to receive holy communion but they are still required to attend mass and fasting the yep. requirements and all that stuff um, but they're yep. not allowed to receive the eucharist during the liturgy um now, there are other different types. So then, you know, Jesus says that St. Paul excommunicates a guy in the church in Corinth because he was having sex with his father's wife. Mm. He was living with her. And it says there is some evil that not even pagans in Corinth. And Corinth was a swinging town. It was like Vegas times a thousand. Um, it was like Donald Trump's bedroom in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> I don't even Zing. know. I don't even know what Donald Trump's bedroom was like in the 80s. I just figured it's full of hair pieces and the box. I just imagine there's like a lot of mirrors and a lot of cocaine. The mirror is made out of pure gold. You feel it. Look at this cocaine. I love cocaine. It's beautiful. Um, that is an awfully dead on <laughs> yes. accurate impression. Um, but no, there people don't understand that. So when St. Paul excommunicated that guy, right, he kicked him out and he said, we hand him over to Satan. And he said, so that eventually we might win him back. Basically saying like, this the thing that they're doing is so horrible it goes beyond a mere sin and it wounds and dest- it actively destroys 
the ability for the church to stay together, that their behavior is so public, is so just awful that you have to draw a line and say, you know what? Adultery is one thing. Premarital sex is another thing. But having sex with your mom or your stepmom, that's the worst thing imaginable. Okay? So that is the whole idea. And the, But here's the deal. The idea is it's supposed to be uh, medicinal. Right? St. Paul says so that they'll come back to you. Right? That's the whole point is you expel them from being able to receive the sacraments, but you want them ultimately by a holy longing to come back. Now, there are two types Right, you can have a formal excommunication, which I think only the pope or bishop can do. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, a bishop can do. Um, I don't, priests can't excommunicate, but there are other types of excommunications called latte sententiae, and that means that it's automatically done. The sentence is given by the very action that you do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, Luke, you've probably been excommunicated like six times. Oh yeah, at, at least. Totally. <laughs> at least. At Totes. Least. Totes excommutes. Um, okay. But so, for instance, um, if you carry out an abortion, you can be excommunicated. You are excommunicated, late sententiae, right? So you're helping abortion happen, um, getting an abortion. If you're a Catholic woman and you willfully get an abortion, knowing that it's condemned by the church, um, you are excommunicated from the Catholic church. And you cannot receive Holy Communion again. Not just until you go to confession, but until you go to your bishop. Bishop, I and, did not. I yeah, did not, I did not understand that until the Pope just kind of did the whole a year of mercy thing. Right. So that's what I want to bring up is the whole year of mercy thing. He said, "No, I am giving as the Supreme Pontiff the authority for every priest to be able to." People said, "Oh, abortion's now welcome to the church." There were so many shitty headlines, Ugh, uh, yeah. and I used that cuss word intentionally. Um, church says abortion. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, there were so many horrible, horrible headlines about that. What it was saying was the the Pope is investing in the priest during the year of mercy. The individual priest who you know has his faculties and is able to hear confessions and mass and all that stuff, he can readmit someone excommunicated from a late sententiae um, abortion excommunicate or excommunication brought on by abortion. He can bring so the the woman who comes doesn't have to have the extra hurdle indignity you know whatever you want to call it of having to go seek out a time with a bishop of the city in order to come back into the church, right? So now they can just go to their local parish priest and make an appointment and confess abortion. So that's pretty epic. Another latte uh, latte sententiae is a priest who violates the seal of confession. Yeah, yeah. So am I wrong then to think that Nancy Pelosi should be excommunicated? No. See, what I would say is, are we – now, neither of us are canon lawyers. We interviewed mm-hmm. one and should probably follow up with this. But the question for me about yeah. her is, is she already excommunicated, latte sententiae, by helping to foster abortions? Mm, yeah. See, that's a, a, an even bigger question that yeah. I think, honestly, we can we can look at. Uh, yeah. Now, that being said, oh gosh, um, I would totally excommunicate her if I were a bishop. It sounds harsh. It sounds crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like I say that with like full understanding of what it means to be excommunicated, right? Because I I would almost argue from what I've read about him, I don't know if I could say that that a Joe Biden 
should be because I don't see him doing a lot to promote abortion or or abortion rights. But he's but he is most certainly not doing anything to defend it or to go against it either. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's that's that's that could be a whole and I don't want to get too apolitical because I do think I'm really coming around to the idea that the Democratic Party has a um, needs to be heard out from a lot of conservative Catholics on a lot of things, you know, like. You know, I heard one one Catholic commentator saying a Republican who is pro-immigration reform is music to my ears like a Democrat who's pro-life. And I was like, I have never thought of it that way. Yeah. But that I mean, this guy is more leftist. Right. And he's this, you know, commentator, pundit, whatever. But he just said, you know, a Republican who's like, yeah, I don't hate Mexicans. I want to build a wall. I I want I don't want to accuse i don't want to destroy the dignity of human beings by calling them anchor babies and getting all pissy about that um especially since when a bunch of white european people came over out of their poverty seeking a better life we just had to make a mark on a piece of paper in ellis island and we welcomed them now we're like hunting people and putting them in warehouses and i have a friend who guarded one of those warehouses where all the families are staying and he's like it's the most appalling situation you would ever see in your life you know, and now we it takes like twelve years and an average cost of like fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to become yeah. an, a, an American citizen. Like, oh my God, what is going on? But when that Democrat, basically, this guy was a Democrat who was pro life, and he's like, when I mean a Democrat politician who's pro life or a Republican who's pro immigration reform, I finally feel like, yeah, these are my people. <laughs> you know what's crazy? So uh, driving back from our honeymoon, we stopped by Memphis. The plan was to spend the night there, then spend the day in Nashville after that. We ended up spending the majority of the day actually out in Memphis. And one of the reasons why was we went to over at the Civil Rights Museum up there. Um, And I know that there's some people, because it's a big thing with a lot of our friends, to go into the libertarian ideas and how some of that stuff wasn't actually as good as it sounds. I don't want to really go into that. What I do want to talk about is the things that I saw and the things that I experienced there. I saw where Dr. King was shot. I stood like two feet from that. And that was just so powerful. And they had this – there were two parts that really hit me. One was they have a mock thing where it's the statues of what these Africans were like when they were in a boat brought over here. It was awful. I mean, I was dis- I was, I was almost, I, I was almost weeping, like openly weeping. And then the other part was when they go, they they show a lot of the Jim Crow laws, and they showed a like a, they showed a they they had a picture of a man who was lynched, and it's and it said this this N word tried uh, tried a devote. And I just thought that, I, and I thought, I see why affirmative action might not be a bad idea. <laughs> like just seeing, like just being, just like just being confronted with all that stuff. And I and I know the point is to elicit an emotion, like to have all this stuff. I'm in a dark room with all these like images, and it's intense. But I saw the bus that Rosa Parks was on. Like I walked past her seat, like I touched it. I was, I yeah. saw the jail cell where they uh, held a, or they, they actually held a Dr. King, and I made sure that I touched that. I saw one of, um, one of the counters from all all of the sit-in stuff that happened back then. I just. And it reminds me of how we're capable of horrific evil. I mean, just like evil, 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 evil. And I think a lot of conservative Catholics, they they 
will see a guy like Bernie Sanders and they hear his ideas and they go, you're as bad as Hitler. And part of me just wants to think after what I experienced there, I understand his outrage and his and his anger. Can we at least try to identify with that? This idea that we have a group of people within our country who not that not that long ago had to drink from a different water fountain because of the color of their skin. Like, yeah. I don't know. Does it make sense? Or it does I make just sense. Think? It does. But number one, time's up. Oh, so, okay. And number two, what does that have to do with excommunication? I don't know how we got to that point. We went well, from no. excommunication of Nancy Pelosi <laughs> to leftism, rightism yet again to <laughs> to uh, Luke Carey having a beautiful moment realizing uh, the horrible degradation of, of African Americans. Well, yeah, I, I think the point is to like don't put people in a box and really get <laughs> to the heart of issues. So in a box. Come on. I love it. It's like, we're going to talk about excommunication, but people don't put people in a box. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're right. That's we're talking about the theological so concept. Weird. Feel free to edit that. I don't know why I, I, I went into that. All right, next one. I'm we're not getting... editing any of this. This is the best part of my day. <laughs> uh, speaking of a political, Kim Davis. Who? The very nice lady from uh, Kentucky. I'm sure she means well. Um. And she said she wanted to be thrown in jail rather than give out a marriage license to a homosexual couple. Yeah. And Mike Huckabee came to her aid, and she was the champion of Fox News and a lot of other stuff. Yeah. What say you about her, Gilmer? I think that she should have quit. I agree. I hate the media circus that has surrounded all of this shenanigans. I think it is ridiculous. Um, I I just don't. I quit your job, okay? I understand you didn't sign up for this, but this has radically changed. So you don't just get to do this. We like, I don't. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I am not pro gay marriage. I'm not because I believe marriage is a thing that exists before societies and states and blah blah blah. So you can't just make crap up but at the same time i would just say you just quit your job that's a statement you don't need to do this fake other i just i don't know yeah it just it's so shallow and everyone can tell like i keep and she was crying did you see her when she was crying and huckabee was next to her and at one point you seem like he was like okay okay and she just kept she goes into the microphone then backs off because she keeps crying and and then all this stuff and he's like okay okay we gotta get this thing on the road here you shared you shared a a meme that that i loved where it was like (laughs) who are the real martyrs and it had all 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 of other christians being killed in one of the coliseums that had like her and huckabee with her hands up but with a crowd of people Cheering them on, like no, it we're said, not it, it said the top picture was like a painting of Christian martyrs in the Colosseum, and they're about to be like devoured by lions, and it says the martyrs, and then underneath it is her with Huckabee and all the others, and it says the wall martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny? When I was looking up this stuff, um, uh, there, there's a FoxNews.com article, and it says this is the title: ACLU wants Kim Davis's quote scalp to hang on the wall 
And I was like, oh, dear. So I'm, And I'm scrolling through this real quick, and I'm like, I'm going to find this juicy quote about the scalp hanging on the wall from the ACLU. And then you look at it, and you keep going and going, and it's like, no, no. And then it's, it's uh, her attorney says they want her, her scalp to hang on the wall as a trophy, he said. And so they kind of have to make it sound like the ACLU said that. See, people, yeah. that is activism in the news. You are directly portraying your ideological opposition as demonic when, in fact, it was your own quote. Why are we so afraid? Are we about of... to go into a different topic? Yeah, and we'll just end here. Yeah, well, let's let's end with this one. I mean, uh, unless we can just keep going. No, 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 no. We got more of the Bradley stuff. Come on. Wait more. Wait Don't more. You have more the what? That, that one guy. That, that all the things that. that oh well, I mean, yeah, but we're, we're already over an hour. No, 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 no. You're thinking about it earlier. We're less than fifty minutes. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> well, it's okay. Let's keep going. Let's keep looking um, for those fences. <laughs> Bennett. I keep saying Bradley. It's Bennett. 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 Do not say his last name because he did not tell us that we could. Beep. Um. Why are we so afraid? Or why do we think that? screaming at the top of our lungs about how right we are is more convincing than Christian joy amongst intense um, pain and suffering. Like one of the things that I can, I can remember when this things sounds started... like a Luke original question. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're ignoring my comment about let's go to Bennett and all oh. those 50 questions. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. We gave him I'm one sorry, about Bennett. judging and excommunication. No, I've used um <laughs> I've used two of his. Oh yeah, so Matt far. Walsh. Matt Walsh with his too. Yeah. Good old Bennett. Um Thanks, Bennett. So, Bennett besides our, our buddy Christian. And, Luke, your and questions Sam. are so esoteric. What did you mean by why yelly instead of joy? <laughs> one I'm it's late and I remember what what esoteric means. Um hidden well, Secret, <laughs> secret lover. Um, when we are love. Okay, so, um, like, wh- so I can remember a couple years ago we had a household email where guys were starting um, to freak out over a lot of the culture changes and a lot and, and and a lot of the laws that were that were you know happening. And we had a guy who was like, "This world's like, well, I'm so scared about what kind of a world's going to be. We are going to become martyrs." And our buddy Word popped up and says, "You know what? We should be martyrs. Like it's time. Like bring it on. Like why are we so scared of being martyrs?" Now I understand the idea of wanting to do what is just, but what? But at times, I feel like we're, I, I feel like when the when the choices be an activist hero or be a martyr, we'll choose the we'll choose the activist hero, and I don't know if that's the right call. I'll say this: in the early church. Oh, okay, so today, what are we doing when we pray? Oh, Lord God, you know, they say uh, the successors of our bishops will end up in jail and his successor will end up in a martyr of the church. Lord God, protect us, protect us. In the early church, in the book of Acts, when they are arrested, beaten, slapped around, had their lands confiscated, all of this stuff, when they lost everything, they prayed for boldness, not protection. We are comfortable to the point of idolatry. And that's the problem. We are so comfortable 
with our Western, secular, said it, secular lives, that we would trade it. We are fearful of it being taken from us because of our obligations to the truth, to Christianity, to the tenets, whatever. They prayed for boldness, and it was that boldness that converted their persecutors. And we pray for safety so that we don't get persecuted. That's the difference. Damn, dude, that was awesome. Yes, it was. That was really good. <laughs> I gave <laughs> like, myself chills. I got chills. Yeah, I was like, oh, and I, I you know, it's funny because when I say all this crap, I am the chief among this stuff. Like, there's so many times when, you know, so I'm going to tread kind of lightly here within some of the activities that I participate during working hours. I engage in a lot of evangelization type of activities and things and discussions, if you will. And at times <laughs> and we all, we all will. We all, and will. I wonder, I do this from of the safety of my office, you know, how am I being bold? How, you know, and, it, and I think you're right. Like at times I, I want, I'm, I make an idol out of comfort. You know, and when I look upon on my life where I've grown in other faith, do you remember when we were on Sun Life? Sun Life. Uh, we've talked about this before. We basically went on a beach and did street event agilization during spring break. It was one of the most profound weeks of my entire life. That changed everything for me. That I could have easily have kind of like just gotten very, very uh, lukewarm. And that really, it that honestly forced me to uh, to acknowledge my unbelief and to go, where do I go from here with this? And I think we've we got to get uncomfortable, right? Yeah. No? The, the, the lack of being uncomfortable with going, okay, well, here's the deal. We have to be uncomfortable for like a little bit because what will happen is uh, it's like a baby walking. The baby is incredibly uncomfortable being let go by mommy and daddy's hands is unsteady on its feet, falls down, hurts itself, and then takes that miraculous step forward, then after a while can only take steps forward, right? Like it's no big deal. Yeah. Like, I, this is yeah. what I'm doing. Yep. The thing is evangelization is scary if you don't do it. When you start doing it, you realize, holy crap, evangelization just means me loving my neighbor, me getting to know my neighbor, me having parties where I invite my neighbor over, me having conversations with human beings and treating them like human beings. It doesn't mean me turning people into projects. That's what scares people. But when we find out, even when we do, uh, there's a great organization called St. Paul Street Evangelization, where they try to create, like, they go to public events and try to, you know, pass out rosaries and pamphlets and all that stuff, but it's all within the context of just to have conversations, right? Everything that they do is amazing because they end up just building friendships. And I had a friend of mine who went to one of the, their events, and they were like, I was so scared. And then I did it, and I was like, wait, that's it? And she was doing, like, stranger conversation evangelism, like walking up and just talking. And mm-hmm. this, and, and I was like, that is the most risky, right? It's, the next step is door-to-door. And then the next step after that is, like, evangelizing your prison guard. I don't know. Um, Mormonism. But our, our – see, that's what I mean. It's like it's comfort because it's uncomfortable because it's unknown. Once it becomes known, it becomes comfortable again. So we push ourselves even further. Mm-hmm. But the problem yeah. is when, when the church goes into maintenance mode instead of mission mode, 
when it stays in its comfort zone, even maintenance mode doesn't maintain. Maintenance mode costs us everything. That's why Dave Van Vickle said the church is losing members like like squeezing sand in the palms of our hand. Yeah. Yeah. What's your next question? Let's go through. Let's go through our, our homeboy. Some of my friends have been wondering what is humility really about? Uh N. What also is uh pride and uh are they or are they not polar opposites? I figure they were both black and white. Luke. What say you about pride and humility? Ooh. Or as my wife knows it as, pride and prejudice. <laughs> oh, I can't stand. I, I mean, I like your wife. Sorry. I was like, oh, your wife. I can't stand. <laughs> I can't stand your wife's decisions. <laughs> sorry, Rothkopf. Um, Beep. Continue. Oh, what sorry. is pride and humility? <laughs> Luke, so, how are you the most prideful man I've ever met? Because I'm the fucking shit. Okay, I go back to... Uh, I go back to this thing I read by C.S. Lewis. I don't remember like what book it was or anything, but he basically talks about the idea of an artist should be able to appreciate his art just as much as anyone else. So real, so real a humility isn't sitting there going, oh, this is just awful. It's being able to go, yeah, this is really great. Thank God that I have this talent to be able to paint this thing. But it doesn't mean that I'm better than any other person because I do this or that. A humility is putting the other a person first, where pride is putting yourself is all about yourself first. So, like I'm a huge U.S. soccer fan. I love the men's team and and the women's team. I take pride in them because they are from my they're from my country. That's a different kind of pride, I think. Though, but it, it it can become like that, or it can be very humble. Where I just go, man, this is such a fun thing. I want everyone to be a part of this. I think that's actually kind of, kind of humble because you want you want all of your own buddies to experience this thing, unless it comes from a, a prideful place. So it's humble unless it comes from pride. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. it's I mean, like honestly, it's about like who's this for. Is this for yourself or is it for, or is it, or is it about others? That's the difference between those, those two. St. Paul in, uh, in in, uh, his letter to the Philippians says, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves. He doesn't say don't care about yourself. He doesn't say hate yourself. He doesn't say despise yourself. He says humbly regard others as more important than yourself. Because that's the attitude that Jesus Christ himself had. And then St. Paul goes into the epic, um, that epic original hymn where he says that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not redeem, or he did not view quality with God as something to be grasped. And he goes on to this beautiful, beautiful statement, um, the beautiful hymn about Jesus entering into our, or all that stuff. So the whole idea, do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory, rather humbly regard others as more important than yourselves. And here's the, the next line. Each looking out not for his own interests, but also everyone for those of others. Have among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus. Now, humility was never a thing of virtue in ancient Greece. Right? There's a lot of overlap between the Greek philosophers and the early Christian um, writers and the New Testament, all this stuff. But they despised, the Greeks despised humility. Humility was one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave us in the church. Beforehand, now Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they could speak of modesty, right? You're great. 
you know you're great, but you're not going to walk up to the person next to you and say, do you know how great I am? Because no one likes that. That's annoying. You'll be modest, but even Aristotle says the 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 high souled man, the I don't know, I don't want the magnanimous man, he will walk up or he will emphasize the areas where he is strong and he will de-emphasize the areas where he is weak. And then you encounter Jesus Christ. And people like St. Paul in Second Corinthians twelve, where he says, I will boast of my weaknesses, because Christ says, Where I am weak, where you are weak, there I am strong, right? So he says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So as Christians, we look to Christ. Christ is the greatest. So for him, it's not being puffed up to say, I am the greatest, right? That's mm-hmm. totally legit. But he emptied himself to become one of us. So that self-emptying, um, uh, that self-emptying character characterizes Christianity, right? So we can not uh we cannot go further than i mean like we can't or not we can't go further we cannot go outside of the example of jesus christ he shows us what it means ultimately to be human and the idea of humility is saying like you know what in in all of my greatness it doesn't matter i choose to put other people um before me you know to humble myself uh before god and so and not just before God, but before other people. And so when we look at the, the difference between pride and humility, pride says myself first. Humility says uh, others first. Jesus, others, and then self. Humility doesn't hate the self, whereas pride has a disordered love of self. So in the sense of their polar opposites, in a lot of ways you could say, yeah, like pride seeks the domination of one's ego overall, and humility doesn't do that. But in another sense, I would say that whereas pride is the disordered love of self, humility is the ordered love of self. And that's not mm-hmm. necessarily a polar opposite. A polar opposite would be a disordered love of self versus, you know, a hatred of oneself. Humility isn't a hatred. There's a mistrust of oneself that's rooted in the fact that we're broken human beings, but it's not a hatred. Yeah, but I wouldn't even say that it's a total mistrust, though. It's just more of an acknowledgement of a sinful nature. Right. Just, well, I mean, no. because no, 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 because it's a sinful nature, you can't completely trust it. You know, there's a, a great um, book called uh, Spiritual Combat written in the 1500s. And he says the first thing you need to have is no self-confidence in order to win and live a virtuous life. He's like, you can't have self-confidence. If you put your confidence in yourself. OK, then you've already failed because yourself is the problem. We instead don't have self-confidence. We have hope because our confidence is in God. But don't you think that confidence is a good thing, though? Because, I mean, I think that I've really benefited from in the past 10 years where I realized I didn't have a lot of that. And once I did, I felt that my life was so much better. And I was able to – and that includes the spiritual life as well. Yeah. So, like, I see what you're saying with with like the the i the idea of oh I can do this. Like, no, like we desperately need Christ in our life. We need His grace. It is impossible to live the Christian life on our own. We cannot do it. It is not possible. But I I don't know if I would go as far as to say that I agree with the idea that self 
confidence is inherently bad. And I'm, and I'm not sure if you're, if you are saying that, but I think it's easy to derive that idea from that statement. The book Discussion of Proverbs, over instruction. Yeah, right, right, right. The book of Proverbs says, and this is really, this is a true story I'm about to tell you. Okay. So, so buckle up. The book of Proverbs Click. says, say not, I have the power. And I literally was reading that while I was listening to the radio. And guess what song was on the radio? I got the power. 100% those heathen Germans singing that song. I got the power. I got the power. No one who speaks German could be evil. <laughs> v, Luke, V. Um, had a drink of beer. Um, <laughs> so when we look at the notion of confidence and in, in relation to humility, there is a, a kind of natural confidence that we can have in in our self-knowledge. Like, I have gifts. Like, I can give a talk about anything like pride and humility. Uh, I can give a talk on a lot of stuff <laughs> because I am proficient. My skills are developed in these areas, right? Um, but confidence uh, can elude us, or rather, confidence can become an idol. Self-confidence can become an idol that we don't expect, but that we place our security and our comfort and our control, um, our need to control, in because we have a confidence that is actually unrealistic. It is very easy for people to have an unrealistic confidence in oneself. Uh, I, I think you should have confidence in the gifts God has given you, in the person that God has made you to be. Um, I think you should accept your own skin because that's the skin that God gave you as a gift. You might not like it. It might be too oily, too dry, too pimply, too, I don't know what's the opposite of pimply, but uh, clean, too, too perfect. Um, I hate you people. <laughs> you can have all sorts of things, too, too fat, too skinny, all that stuff. The self-confidence even in that regard, isn't it confidence in oneself, but in one's gifts that God has given? And so I think that, I mean, I totally agree in the sense of one ought not to beat oneself up or to think oneself worthless. But, and I'm using the word oneself a whole hell of a lot in this conversation, but I do think that, <laughs> Nerd. that uh, one is given to think that one, no. <laughs> well, let me just put it this way. I know that I suck in so many ways. If I rely on my own strength to unsuck my life, that's awful, <laughs> to unsuckify my life, uh, I'm going to fail because my will is part of the problem. It's not entirely corrupted, therefore I don't hate myself, but it is weakened, therefore I can't trust it to see me across the finish line. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the times, though, we... Then uh, diminish the will. I mean, I, I, at least I did. Like I, I think at times in my life, I this is this is probably why I am pushing back on this a bit. Where I was so much about like I suck, I suck, I, I like I, I suck. God help me, help me, help me. That I couldn't make a decision. Yeah. You know, and I think there is and I really do think that there's something to be said about there like some self confidence is important. The ability to know I can do this or or even to know I can become a saint with the help of God, of Christ, like through Christ, I, like this is going to be made possible for me. And I just think that too. I don't know, like, I, I mean, it, it kind of. It reminds me of how we talk 
a lot about um, how we need uh, to love God with all with all of our our uh, heart, mind, and soul. But we forget the part of that verse where it says, "As you love yourself," and we for, and we don't hardly ever emphasize the importance of we have to love ourselves. Well, I want to say that this is the discussion part, bro. You're right. The love of self. I think that's all we do today in a prideful way, in the wrong way. Love your neighbor as yourself. St. Thomas Aquinas says, um, I think when he's talking about killing, thou shalt not kill, when he talks about um, why self-defense isn't wrong, he makes some comment about, um, man, now I'm going to have to look it up, but he makes a comment essentially saying the love of self, I'm going to pull this up right now, you son of a gun, the love of self (laughs) is the origin of um, five alive. Okay. The love of self is the origin of, um, the moral law. Let me see if I can find it. The love of self when it is ordered is not pride. Pride is the disordered love of self on a very, I mean, I think on a natural level, you can have confidence in yourself, your gifts, you know, and that's rooted in self-knowledge, but every one of your gifts and skills and talents is a gift of God, right? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. But I do, but um, sorry. I are, are you gonna are you, uh, keep going? I just did the exact opposite of what you told me to do two weeks ago. No, I uh, did I interrupt you. No, no, I was quiet. But uh, I feel like I feel like the first idol that we have and the last idol is the same, and that's you, me, myself. Right? That's the self, and the notion that. The la- the first idol, right? Because whenever you have a conversion, you realize, oh shit, what I'm doing is not right. It's not helping. It's not do. It's not making me happy. I am destroying myself. You know, I need to be able to love God, right? I need to be able to 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 get rid of all this crap in my life. And so, the first instance of conversion is like I have an idol in my life, and it's myself. But then what ends up happening is you realize you actually have a whole bunch of other idols, self, you know, surface idols, deeper idols that guide your decisions and whatnot. But then you come down to it and you realize at the very core of the secret dark part of your heart is, again, that idol of yourself. Frederick Nietzsche pointed it so clearly, painted it so clearly when he said, um, if God were to appear before me, I would not worship him because then I would not be God. You know, that's pretty stark. But we, I think, in a very implicit level, we say that in our struggle with humility says, humility is a sub-virtue of truth, not of, of, of lies, right? It's saying, this is really who I am. You know, St. Paul says, don't be too elated or puffed up. Like, what you are is what you are. St. Francis de Sales says, or St. Francis of Assisi says, what a man is before God, that he is and nothing else. And that's what humility is. Humility is the truth about oneself. Pride distorts that, and I think that there is an element of an a disordered self confidence. I agree one hundred percent. But, but I would not throw out the idea or the importance of confidence altogether, which I think is done in Christian culture at times. Like when we say, "Hey, it's good to like like." have goals, write things down, maybe have a productivity system that you adhere to. To me, that's an example of how you love yourself to get out of debt, to um, have savings, to uh, properly to properly groom yourself. Um, that 
that is loving yourself. And I think that can result in a good type of confidence, which, you know, you could also call a humility, just a real acknowledgement for of the, of the truth of what is going on. Yeah. I, I just, I'm always scared when a man trusts in his own strength, when a oh. woman mm-hmm. puts, Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's the element of trust because the word confidence means confide, confide with faith. So it's a, we are putting a faith in ourselves, but the problem is about the self is that we are our best salesmen and saleswomen. We can buy any lie that we tell ourselves. I don't know if you've ever purchased a used vehicle, but sometimes around that context, we're like, I have to have it. And this is why it's smart for me to go out and buy a car, you know, or buy this particular overly expensive item or whatever. We are excellent salesmen to ourselves. And this is where the confidence part breaks down. And I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I sit there and think about my own lives and my own insecurity. And I realize, especially in that high school, college age, how desperate I was for self-confidence in certain areas and how I overcompensated by not having self-confidence in other areas. But I think the the whole grounding is, I think through Christian maturity, we will discover that our, what we would term self-confidence is really either A, uh, a form of self-exaltation or B, a form of um, humility where all along we weren't, we were calling it confidence or self-confidence, but really it was a form of faithfulness in God. Like we were saying things like, you know, like that, that great book that we both read. Um, what is it? Uh, nice Guys Finish Last. No, that um, is no more a Mr. Nice Guy. No, no more Mr. Nice Guy. One of the most important books of my entire life. Yeah, and then you bought me a copy and gave it to me. I don't know why. I'm not a nice guy or anything. but uh, You totally admitted to that. Go on. <laughs> but the whole point of that book is that people who have, I mean, these are people who have zero self-confidence. And mm-hmm. what they do is they overcompensate by lashing out in passive-aggressive ways and all that stuff. My fear is, as Christians hopping on the self-confidence bandwagon, it's not that we're building up a, a just self-love. It's that we end up distorting and emphasizing this idol of the self rather than, for the humble Christian all along, they've realized, Holy, you know, this is all gift from God. I have confidence in all these skills and gifts that I have because they all come from God, ultimately. Yeah, I see. And this might be a thing that we have to come back to. At no, this will be a four-hour <laughs> show until you agree with me. No, I mean, no, because, like, honestly, like, this has been a struggle of mine since 2010 that I've been trying ever since I read that book and said, okay, like, this is really opening up my eyes and my heart to a lot of my issues and which we, I mean, and I don't mean to say that I was like an emotional wreck. I just mean like, we all have issues. We are human beings. These were mine. And I, and I really have wrestled with that idea of like, where do I draw? Cause I honestly, like there was a freedom that came with that. That was very profound. And, um, and I, and I tried, I've tried uh, to wrestle that. Like, like, where do these things end, and where does Christianity begin, or what does it look like when you, when you mesh these two? Because I think a lack of a lack of self confidence is killing so many men, right? 
right now. And it's why they use women or especially emotionally. And uh, which is could be a hint for some other stuff that we could be doing on layevangelist.com. Um, so I, 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 I mean, I, I agree with everything that you are uh, talking about. There's just a couple of things. I'm like, I don't know if I would really if. Um, well, I would, I would use say those terms. what you were saying is self-confidence is what I would call a ordered love of self. Yeah, yeah, that that, that one has yeah. But what I mean by self confidence is what are you staking your life on? In terms of your ability to carry out that which you want yourself to become, meaning the person you want to be, are you making that, or is that a gift given to you by God and guaranteed by God, and will come to fruition because of God? Hope, the theological definition or theological virtue of hope is that it is the disposition whereby we place our confidence in God and in his promises. But you have to act, though. And yeah, I th- absolutely. I'm not advocating passivity. What I'm saying is God gave you a will. God gave you a body. And, Luke, I've seen your body. It is fine. <laughs> but it, 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 so this is what I mean. Like a disordered hatred of self would be to despise your body. Uh, a disordered hatred of self would be what I used to do whenever I'd fall into pornography, which was discouragement, right? I would beat myself mm-hmm. up. Uh, I would beat myself up because, how dare I say, how, how could yeah. I do this again? And then until I had a priest sit next to me and go, or sit in front of me and say, what do you mean, how could I do this? You're you. You're a sinner. Of course you could do this. Get over yourself. And when yeah. I got over myself, that is when I had humility, I realized I am capable of this. But I'm also mm-hmm. capable of something else, you know. And that, the, oh, the, yeah. The one danger, though, is in rooting the power of our will and giving our wills such a um, ignoring the defect of our will. So you're right. There is people who only see the defect and they hate themselves, versus those who don't see the defect and they exalt themselves. And so the truth is, we are not wholly, totally depraved. But we are not angels. What are we? We're somewhere in the middle. We are, we're not just somewhere in the middle. We are, in fact, greatly blessed with a powerful will that has been weakened mm-hmm. through concupiscence. And so I, I just think, like, we st- there's a tendency in man to stake too much on his, on his own power. And there's a tendency in man to hate himself because he doesn't have enough strength. Good conversation. One hour and 28 minutes long. I can cut off five minutes for pee-pee. <laughs> that was good. All right, ladies really and good. gentlemen, uh, we usually end it with Luke and Gomer asking each other. I don't know why I went third person. Uh, <laughs> Luke and Gomer, these yeah, two. You do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do because I'm on my fourth Bud Light, and they are tall boys. Um, Jackson's. Well, Luke, let me ask you a very important question. Mm-hmm. What are you listening to? Without going into a thousand stories. Oh, um, and without uh, here's a new drinking game. If Luke says the phrase avant garde jazz, we all take a drink. <laughs> we all take a drink. Luke, oh, what are you listening to? Uh, what I'm listening to, I actually have a thing that I wanted to pick out, and I'm so pissed off that I can't say what I want to say right now. That's mm-hmm. so say ridiculous. It. You have to say it. It's just so good avant garde postmodern jazz. <laughs> it's so good. Um, all right, let me. Sorry. No, you, just do it. Just say the name. Say the name. Who's I know. The, I, I don't. I'm trying to find it. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I'm listening to. What are what what are listening to? Days of the new touch peel stand or something. Days of the new man. Do you remember days of the new? 
Uh, rings a it it rings a bell. Uh, can you remind me again? Days of the New was an all acoustic band that came out in the midst of the grunge era, and they had a grunge sound to them, but they were all acoustic. And I was trying to describe it to my friends, and they're like, "Oh, they were unplugged," and I was like, "Yeah." And then they were like, "Oh yeah, every band does like an unplugged." And I was like, "No, it wasn't an album. It was their essence." You son of a gun. But I used to listen to their second CD. Touch Beal Stand or whatever it's called was their most famous song. But their second CD was the one I owned. And every song blended into the next. And this is why I love them so much. I've used to play on my computer StarCraft Brood War for hours on my (laughs) dial-up connection. And that was the music that I would listen to while I was playing. And so it popped up on uh, Apple Music. And I started to listen to it. And I was like... Oh, my dear. Oh, my dear. I am right back to that. So I'm going to buy Star StarCraft uh, 2, Sons of Liberty. That's awesome. I love that stuff. That reminds me, uh, I need to add you to our, to, uh, our clan and uh, Clash of Clans. So I heard one of the best songs that I've ever heard. It's probably my, it is my favorite jazz song, though I believe it's of the avant-garde post-modern type. It's by Drink. a guy named... <laughs> All right. Oh, cheers. Cheers to Brian and Aunt D. All right. It always so, goes down smooth. Actually, I do want to know a D. D, tell me what you think about the song. Uh, it's by a guy named Colin Stetson, S T E T S O N. The name of a. Uh, of the song is to see more light to see more light by Colin Stetson. It's about 16 minutes. Sorry. It is 15 minutes and seven seconds long. It's phenomenal. It is one of the, it is the best jazz song that I've ever heard. I wait, 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 how many seconds? It It is 15 minutes and seven seconds long. I love this song. No, that's longer than a Metallica song. I don't, it is so, so good to see more light. Colin Stetson. See more light. That was my see more light. Oh, Seymour is not their name. No, to to see more light is the name of the song. To T O, the artist is Colin Stetson. <laughs> uh, all right, Luke, where can we find you? Uh, at the Luke V. Where can on, they find me? At Late Evangelist, and you can find our podcast on Twitter at C Foxes Podcast at the letter C Foxes Podcast, and please. Uh, give us a like on uh, the Facebook, facebook.com slash catching foxes podcast, and also give us a um, review and a ratings on iTunes. It helps, uh, it helps other people find our show, which gives us an excuse to keep doing this. This is what I want to say we are three likes from 200. If oh, you are on, the people. 200th person to like our Facebook catching foxes podcast page. I will send you Luke's kidney. (laughs) Listen, it's a fresh kidney, people. Little abused. Little abused.